From First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa, you're listening to a message from the series Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. And let's dig right into this final week about intentional discipleship for normal people. I want to embarrass someone to begin with. He told me I could. Uh, Mark Hintz is in the back. He sits back there every week. Uh, been with us since the very beginning, he and his beautiful wife, Kathy, and just uh, faithful. And Mark became a Christian because of his parents' influence. His parents became Christians because of Billy Graham's influence. In fact, they were invited to a crusade. They went, it was so crowded, they had to sit in separate seats. But when the opportunity was given to trust in the Lord as the only way to be saved, both his mom and his dad responded and were saved that night. Mark relayed to me earlier in an email in this series. He said, from that day forward, my dad never took a drop of alcohol. Was radically changed by God's grace. Mark says, my mom and dad had a big influence on me and how God used him to see me come to faith. A lot, of his, a lot of his family, in fact. Billy Graham became a Christian under the preaching of Mordecai Ham. You may not have heard his name. You'd be glad you don't have that name, right? <laughs> but Billy Graham was taken to the crusade by Mordecai Ham by a guy, just a regular guy in the community who drove a truck. His name was Albert McMakin. You probably never heard of Albert McMakin. I never had until Mark mentioned him to me. But Albert McMakin would simply invite people to different crusades or church services. That's kind of the sense I got. And in his truck, he would just take those who wanted to go. And he took Billy Graham to a crusade by Mordecai Ham, where Billy Graham became a Christian who preached years later, where Mark Hintz's parents became Christians who were good parents and saw that their son, Mark, became a Christian, who has now discipled his kids who were Christians. Aren't you thankful that faithful people generations ago passed it along to other faithful people who passed it along to other faithful people who passed it along to other faithful people? Aren't you thankful for that? I ask you a question. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Hallelujah. That really is, in an anecdotal fashion, the sense of our root text in this current series, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I'll walk you through just the seven weeks we've spent on it briefly, but here's the verses as a whole, first of all. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this singular set of of a couple of verses, we have at least three generations. Paul to Timothy So those Timothy will teach, and actually you could say four because then those whom they will teach. This is, in one sense, the historical version of Mordecai Ham, Billy Graham, Mark Hintz's dad, and then Mark Hintz. 
That's what it is. And if you ever wonder if discipleship really matters, if it makes a difference, the answer is by all means yes. And Travis last week was exactly right. If you want to change the world, disciple people. In the last seven weeks, we've seen this set of verses from seven angles. We've essentially dissected it. We've deconstructed it. We want to understand it. Some of the messages were even about topics within the verse, and we kind of broke them apart and and kind of chased a couple of rabbits at times. Here Here it is kind of broken down for you. In week one, we looked at this first phrase, you then my child, which is the genetics of discipleship, talking about the relationship that has to be there. And then in week two, we looked at the source of discipleship, which is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Of course, we learned that the word strengthen there is a passive word. So we don't enter into discipleship thinking, I've got this. We enter into it humbly thinking that only by the grace of God could even attempt this. In week three, we looked more at the pattern of discipleship, that what uh, we hear from those and what that's, that's heard in a community of witnesses, then we entrust as well to other people. So it's this audible, visible kind of a communal environment in which we pass this along to the next generation. That's the pattern. In the fourth week, we looked more at the command of discipleship. Here's the imperative in these two verses, to entrust this to faithful men, high priority word. And then we broke that phrase apart by looking at the qualifier of discipleship, which is the idea of being faithful, the overarching trait of true followers of Christ is that they're faithful. And then, of course, we looked at that, that complete phrase in week number six. What does it mean then to entrust to faithful men? That was the process. Last week, Travis taught us about the goal of discipleship in week seven. And today... We kind of summarize things. We're going to talk about the marathon of making disciples. How does this happen over and over and over? How can this be replicated generation after generation? Before we dive into that, let's celebrate together how God has been using his word in our lives to do exactly this during our time here. This is just a few of the people who are willing to go on camera, by the way. This isn't everyone who's doing it. But those who are brave enough to say, I'll record a quick video, a quick testimony. Watch how the Lord is just working in our church in regards to making disciples. Watch this, would you? Hi, I'm Mike Lucas. I'm Barb Thompson. My name is Tanner Battles. I'm Abby Doubleday. I'm RJ Parks. My name is Sylvia Wineland. I'm Cassie Dennett. My name is Jay McFarley. My name is Tony Didlow. My name is Amy Entrican. I'm Todd Stiles. My name is Katie Tibbles. I'm Jock Nair. My name is Marsha Lozada. My name is Jack Patterson. My name is Brett Stiles. I'm Becky Doubleday. My name is Josh Miltenberger. I'm Jonathan Howe. I'm Ava Entrican. I'm Aaron Crabb. My name is Melinda Denny. I'm Travis Walker. I'm Edgar Cabrera, and by God's grace, I'm discipling my granddaughter, Juliana. And I'm getting discipled by Felicia Helms. I'm discipling Jack Patterson and Parker Davis. I've had the privilege of uh, discipling a couple gals in the Mitchellville prison. I'm part of a group of men who meet every other week for the purpose of discipleship. I am discipling the fifth grade kids in Sunday school. I'm being discipled by my wife, uh, as well as one of the elders in our church. And I'm being discipled by Josh and Jen Miltenberger and my parents. I am discipling Spencer Phillips. And I'm discipling my daughters, Abby and Emily. 
and I'm discipling a fifth grade Sunday school class during the school year with my wife. I'm discipling third through fifth grade girls in Awanas. I'm discipling Cooper LeBang. I disciple high school girls. And I disciple boys in flash basketball. I'm discipling my niece, Megan. And I'm being discipled by my parents and Jack Mayer. I'm being discipled by my small group leader, Nate Pritchard. I'm being discipled by my Lighthouse leaders. I'm discipling Mike and Deb Lucas. And I'm discipling Sergio Correa. I'm discipling Michael Brooks. I disciple middle school girls. I'm discipling the guys in my small group. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Michael. You're exactly right. And one of the things that I've been learning over the last eight weeks is it really is much more effective to focus on one-on-one. I tend to be drawn towards you know, larger crowds and big groups. I like those kinds of things. But, boy, being um, intensely focused on is there one person that I can disciple if 100 people did that, that'd be much more impacting than one person trying to do all 100. Are you with me? So it's just a great illustration of what's happening in our church as we get our hands around what it means to make disciples. So how does this occur generation after generation? What's got to happen within our body collectively and within our own minds individually for this not just to be a short-lived sparkler type of experience. I believe the context of our text answers that question. And some of you may have wondered, well, Todd, is he just going to teach from these two verses and that's it? No, we're going to see the context of this whole paragraph. I've been waiting till week eight to lay this on you. Because the last five verses answer the question, how do verses one and two keep happening generation after generation after generation. Here those verses are. Look with me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. We're there after seven weeks. Hallelujah. Here's verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Would you circle the word soldier there in verse 3? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Will you circle the word soldier there in verse 4? Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Will you circle the word athlete in verse 5? Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Guess what I want you to circle? The word farmer there in verse 6. And then Paul concludes this paragraph, this thought with this instruction. Think over what I say. What has he just said? That he's to be involved in discipling other men who are faithful so they can then pass that on to other faithful men. And this requires the mindset of a soldier, of an athlete, of a farmer. Think about this, Timothy. And then this beautiful, resourceful phrase, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love this verse for a number of reasons, but in regards to this topic, I like it because it says that we can bring to the table the mental faculties God has given us, the way He's made us to think about things, and as we are thinking, guess what He will do? 
He will give us understanding. This shows that sometimes the two extremes of Christianity are both mistaken. Sometimes you hear like, hey, don't worry about it, don't think about it, God will just tell you. That's actually not true. God actually asks you to think about things. He's created you to think about them, to ponder them, to, to mold them over. And so it's actually biblical and right to think about things. But it's the thinking that then God enters into with us. And he gives us understanding in that thought process. Some folks think, well, I only got to think about it. Here's the other extreme. It's all up to me and my mental faculties. I can think through it. Well, actually, you can't just think through it only in your depraved mind. You need the Holy Spirit to make that thinking God-centered, gospel-based. Does that make sense? So I love this verse because it shows us that in discipleship, let's think deeply about it, but let's ask God then to help our thinking be right. And when those two things happen, as we ask God to help us think correctly about discipleship, I think that is the key to discipleship lasting generation after generation. And in fact, I would say to you this, it's a certain type of thinking that enables discipleship to go the distance. It's thinking like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. I think that's what he's saying, Timothy, I need you to think about these things. About what things? That discipling other people is a lot like being a soldier, being an athlete, and being a farmer. And as you think about these three kind of mindsets that are metaphorical, so to speak, of the one goal, God will give you understanding. That's how we do this generation after generation. We have to see discipleship through the, the mindsets of soldiers, athletes, and farmers. Now, I've never been any of those. <laughs> so we've got a tall task today, don't we? What does it mean to be a soldier or an athlete or a farmer? I want to take those three mindsets, and I think they produce for us six lenses we're to look through. And I only want to take the ones that are right in this text. I personally believe you could probably expand these six lenses and have really good discussions. You could think more about them and have a lot of good applicational lessons to learn. But for the sake of our message here and some things we want to do later, I just want to simply, let's just kind of take the words from the text and say, here's at least two things under each mindset that we know from the scriptures. It may be in your small group, or maybe around your dinner table, in your own personal devotions. You can kind of extrapolate these as you think about them, and the Lord gives you understanding. Are you with me? So first of all, he says, think like a soldier. I think two things emerge here. The idea of endurance and the idea of focus. Look what he says. Share in suffering as a good soldier. And as I was thinking through this, again, I've never been a soldier. There's men and women in our church who are current active military, those who are veterans as well. But there is sacrifice involved in being a soldier. We know there's opposition involved when you're a soldier. And I think one of the most difficult times from the conversations I've had with soldiers is that of deployment. When you're deployed, it's a whole new mindset. This is not to speak against uh, what is it, non-deployment times? I'm not saying that, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But during wartime culture, deployment takes a whole new mindset. Sacrifice, endurance. There's separation sometimes with 
family. There's just a lot that goes on that, that makes deployment very difficult. You have to have an enduring attitude. And can I say to you, listen very carefully, making disciples is deployment for the Christian. This is what we're doing. So we endure the sacrifices necessary, the inconveniences, because making disciples is the overarching command of our officer. Look what he says here next. He says, we do this so that we don't get entangled in civilian pursuits, but our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. So this idea of focus. What has God essentially called us to do? And so we don't get distracted with lesser issues. Now this is a sincere point of conviction for all of us. I'm in this boat, you're in this boat, you're in this boat, every single person's in this boat, and that is the, the, the lure of civilian pursuits. Things that aren't necessarily bad, but they're really not in line with our commanding officer's last uh, instruction. This is why I believe that Pastor Chris is spot on when he's told us lately. He may not have told you this yet, but he's told our staff this. He's told me. It's been a great point of conviction. He's right on. That it's not that we're busy. Let me rephrase that. It's not that we're too busy. It's that we have messed up priorities. Can we just all come into that, that moment of conviction? You're not too busy. You've made choices. I'm not too busy. I've made choices. The question is, are our choices in line with our commanding officer's instructions? Who are we really aiming to please? The soccer club? The dance club? The school sports team? The college scholarship offer? The job? The boss? Now, those don't always conflict. Would you admit that? God's given us all things freely to enjoy. So I'm not preaching against those things. I'm drawing you to this contrast that when they do conflict and you have to choose, that's when you discover who your idols are. And when the soccer club, the dance team, the job, the hobby, the vacation, when that consistently gets your attention every time, a hard conversation with the man in the mirror would be in order. Because it would appear that you are being entangled in civilian pursuits at the expense of your commanding officer's instructions. That maybe you're not aiming to please the one who actually enlisted you when they conflict. Is that, can we just camp there for a little bit? Is that okay? Just accept that I'm in the same boat with you, wrestling with it every week. That's why we have to think like a soldier. We're deployed to make disciples. And as we think like a soldier with a wartime mentality, then we're much more likely to free our resources and our time, our effort, our energy towards the, the command of our, instruction, of our commanding officer. He also says here to think like an athlete. He says the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Interesting, interesting use of words here. The word compete there is actually the same word in a verb form that he uses to describe the athlete. So if I were to read this verse to you 
in the most technically uh, linguistic way, it would say this. An athlete is not crowned unless he athletes according to the rules. So I was trying to figure out what he's in my competes. He's like, well, that's what an athlete does. An athlete, athletes, I guess, right? But the sense here is that he's, he's competing. He's, he's proactively exerting energy towards an effort. He's competing. He's participating. And he's doing this in a disciplined fashion according to the rules. He knows that if it gets outside of the boundaries of the markers, it won't go well. The crown is not for the one who operates outside of the rules. Now think about that. And that's a biblical instruction there. Think about that. An athlete is not victorious. He's not crowned. Probably hear a reference to the, those early Olympic games, that wreath that it would get as a winner. There's no wreath. There's no victor's crown unless he's operating within the rules. So you may think, well, I'll get to heaven one day and see the commanding officer. Will he reward me? Well, are you operating within the rules? And what are the rules? Based on one and two, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If your life isn't about making disciples, you're operating outside of the parameters. Why would you think there'd be a crown when we've not been competing according to the rules? So we've got to think like a soldier. We've got to think like an athlete, one that is of energy and discipline. And we've got to think like a farmer. Because after all, verse 6 says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. A couple of thoughts here. I think the word time would be one of the ones that he's thinking about here. The, the idea of farming and you know, tilling, planting, uh, tending, reaping. It's not just that that takes time, but watch this. That's actually a repetitious activity. You ever thought about that? I mean, farming is a time-consuming task. It's the process of a year. The seasons affect it. And so over the course of a year, you just are, you, you farm land. But once that's over, guess what you do the next year? You farm land again. It's not real different the next year. You till, plant, tend, and reap. And then when that year ends, guess what you do the next year? Now, some farmers do let their land rest at certain intervals. You're right. But for the most part, the time of a farmer's life is not only repetitious during the, uh, over a long haul, but takes time during the season. It's just it's the same thing over and over. I think there's a point here. This is what we do as Christian farmers. We, we till the land. We sow the seed. God gives the fruit. We try to work with it. And then at some point we say, man, that's awesome. Let's do that again. And the next season rolls around and we till some land and sow the seed. And God brings the fruit and we work with that. And then they pass on to someone. We say, hey, let's, let's do that again. Generation after generation, person after person, we're making disciples. And yet I love the way he ends this, but this. He says, there's a sense of this idea that the farmer then shares in the, in the first fruits. The reward, the joy of seeing this process in play year after year, season after season, life after life. I think it was the Thessalonian believers to which Paul said this. It was, he was sensing, they were wondering, you know, 
What is your joy, Paul? Like, why do you do this? So this ministry you're involved with. And he said to them, you are our joy and crown of rejoicing. Now, let's just put that in 21st century terms. That would be like me saying to you, you are my joy. Crown of rejoicing. It doesn't mean that God is not our joy. It doesn't mean that we don't find deep fulfillment in, uh, you know, vertically in God and because of God, not at all. But he's just saying that when he looked at his ministry with these believers, he was saying that the end result, the fruit aspect, brought him great joy. And I can relate to that, and you can too. Don't you love it when God works in someone's life and you see the explosion of a spirit's power? It brings you great joy, doesn't it? This is the end result of discipleship. The joy of seeing God just transform a life. This is why as a pastor, I've said this for years, but I think the greatest part of the, and I'll use the word job here. Can, can you live with that for a minute? Other pastors here can get this, I know, but the greatest part of the job that I have as your pastor is the story of your life. I love the theological aspects. I love working with our staff. Those are things that I really enjoy. But you know the thing that I probably enjoy the most is just watching your life over a period of years gain a trajectory that's directed towards God. Little step here, little step there, little step here, little step there. Two years, five years, ten years. That's why I think it really pays to stay in one church for a long time if you can. Because you get to kind of see the growth of people and, and you guys are a source of great joy to me and Julie. To watch how God has just worked in your life through things that you thought maybe you weren't going to overcome at some point and then God brought you through that. Things you thought you couldn't overcome or surpass or get through. And I think you've experienced this with folks in your small group, perhaps folks in your life that God's brought. Just the joy that comes from seeing God work in their life. As we think like this, we'll stay in the race. We'll go the distance. And so as you look at these three mindsets, these six lenses, I think thinking like this, because this is what we're instructed to think about and God will give us understanding. As we think like a soldier and an athlete and a farmer, that's really what drives us to go the distance in discipleship. We think like a soldier, we think like an athlete, and we think like a farmer. We don't think like an American with a microwave. (laughs) We don't think like a fast food restaurant. We instead think like a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. And when we do, here's the basic synopsis, the simple take-home truth. This will enable us to go the distance in discipleship. And it's not just thinking like those three mindsets. It's actually asking God to help you think like that. Remember the final verse? He says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. So here's these three mindsets that really open up the the command to entrust what we've been given to faithful men who will entrust to other faithful men, so forth. What helps us do that regularly uh, on a a continuous basis? Thinking like a soldier with endurance. Um, 
focus. It's thinking like an athlete with energy and discipline. Thinking like a farmer with time and reward. And as we think of those things, we ask the Lord to help us understand what that means. And as he does, then those mindsets settle on us and we just continuously, generation after generation, keep our hands to the plow. We stay engaged in the wartime effort. We don't take a seat on the bench. We continue to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, maybe you're asking, Todd, what if we laid that mindset over the fabric of first family? What would that look like? Good question. Let me take a few moments and invite our one of our teams on the platform with me to kind of show you the beginnings of that. Because we've been for several months asking that question. So Travis, Chris, Becky, and Heidi's on this team, but she may not can make it because the responsibility is there, I know. Just the fact that Becky can be here, thank you. I know it's a, a pull away from your ministry there, but thank you. For several months, they've been asking this question. What would it look like for our church to to get even more serious about making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I would say to you in all transparency, I think we've been about discipleship since day one, but we can always do a better job. We can think through it, ask for God's understanding. Amen? How can we do this better now in this our 14th year and the folks that God has given us now? And so they've created a, a discipleship pathway. The elders have seen this. It's very high level. It's just some general... Um, um, directions are going to expand kind of on what we've been doing, but they're going to be more specific, a lot more, I think, in depth. And there's still more to come, by the way. This is an in-process work. As this team would say that they've met, they've worked. This is where they are so far. We're going to bring more information to you. But I want Travis, he led the team, take a few moments and walk you through what would it look like if we were to just lay the fabric of farmers and athletes and soldiers, that mindset, lay that over our church and say, how can we continuously see disciples who make disciples who make disciples, see that happen within First Family? Travis, walk us through this, would you? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Thanks Todd. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for the last couple of months to be able to work with this team and to uh, uh, think through how do we make discipleship at First Family Church as clear as possible. That's been our goal. That's been our task. We want you to know what's next. What's the next step of obedience? How do I continue to follow Christ, be obedient? How do I continue to to become a fully devoted follower of Christ? And so we've been working uh, the last couple months just trying to help uh, take what currently happens at First Family Church, the programs, the ministries, the aspects of it, and to help you see a pathway. So I'll kind of focus on that word just for a second. Where do we start? Where do we end? We want to help you see the natural progression that happens at First Family Church as your, as your home church, as your spiritual family. We want to make it as simple as possible for you to take the next step. Uh, Paul uh, enjoyed using illustrations or, or pitch, um, visuals, um, I, I, word pictures to help you see um, what it looks like in order to be a disciple. So the, the three illustrations he used in Second Timothy are helpful. And we want to use illustrations or word pictures as well. We're first family church. So as you can tell, some of the words that are on this screen are family words. We want to help you see what discipleship looks like and how that continues to uh, develop and how you continue to develop along these lines. So we are pitching to you, proposing to you these five words. And we would ask for you 
today and as you leave and as you think to contemplate two questions. The first question would be is where am I currently at in this discipleship pathway? Look at these five words and ask yourself, where, where am I currently? What's my level of involvement maybe? Where's my level of obedience? Where's my level of initiative? And then the second question would be, what do I need to do next? Again, we're not trying to uh, micromanage discipleship here. We're not trying to take the role of the Holy Spirit away, but we want to make it as clear as possible. Isn't that helpful? I think that is super clear when you go on a journey to have a map. And that's what we've been thinking about is how can we make the map or the pathway of discipleship as clear as possible? So as I kind of walk you through these five words, wrestle with those two questions. Where am I currently at? And then what's the natural, normal, next step I need to take? So let's walk through them real quick. Step one is if it was your first day at First Family Church, if you've never been a part of this church before, if you just walked in, somebody invited you, what's the first thing that needs to happen? We want you to belong, right? Of kind of a family word. We want you to become part of the family. We want you to join us. We want you to commit to us. Be in. Make this your home church. The second one would be connect. We want you to find a group of people. We want you to have friends here. We want you to have people who love on you and care about you. We want you to know you're missed when you're not here. We want you to have people that you can look to and, and call upon in your time of need. And many of you have that. And so if you're newer to First Family Church or if you've been attending for a while, what's your next step? Connect. Find a small group of people who can love on you and who can care about you and who reach out to you and encourage you to continue and to take next steps. The third step there, the green word, is to grow. Obviously, we want you to become more mature in your faith. We want you to grow deeper in your faith. We want you to know the word of God better. We want you to know theology better. We want you to know what you believe and what we don't believe. We want you to be able to fight false teaching. We want you to be able to discern truth. We want you to love the word of God and grow deeper into it. The fourth word there is to serve. As a church, uh, we desperately need more people serving and to be active in ministry. And many of you, as I look around through this room, many of you are serving in at least one, many of you multiple spots within this church and we are so grateful for you but for sure there's people that are have been attending and called this home but haven't maybe put on work gloves yet and got involved and and helped us out and so that's a natural step of obedience that's the that's the next step is find an opportunity to serve god has blessed you if you're in christ then god has blessed you with spiritual gifts it is a joy to you to serve to use those gifts that he's given you to point others towards Jesus Christ. We've been talking about discipleship. Man, isn't there no greater joy than to be involved in the seeing somebody else grow in their faith? And to see little children put their faith in Christ or to, to help somebody see the need for baptism or to help somebody with, with even physical needs and to come alongside of them and to be able to use talents that you have. And so we want every one of you to find an opportunity where you serve. You can call this ministry your ministry, and I'm active in it. And lastly, we want people to lead. We want you to take leadership roles inside of this church. We want you to step up and, 
and to, and to find opportunities where you can, again, pour energy into and, and take ownership of and to lead inside of that. And so just real quick, look at those five words and to wrestle through that. And if I could ask you right now, just in your head or maybe jot it down, number one, where are you at? How long you been attending First Family Church and what step, what step would you say that you're at? And then number two, what's that next second logical step that needs to be, need you, you need to take? A place maybe to serve for many of you or maybe an opportunity to lead. Maybe you've kind of sat back and just said, I don't know, I don't want to oversee something. I don't want to lead in an area. Maybe that's a natural, natural next step of obedience for you. So I hope those are clear. That's been our job the last several months is how can we make discipleship at First Family Church very, very clear? Paul used three analogies that are pretty clear, aren't they? Farmer, athlete, and soldier. Those are clear illustrations. That's our desire. We want to make this clear. We're using familial words to help you see the clarity that's involved in being a member, being a disciple, being a servant, being a leader at First Family Church. So I hope that's been helpful. It's been helpful for us to, to think through and wrestle through that. So and there's time. more to come. You'll notice that under each of those words, there's these blank bullet points, right? Notice that? Uh, This is a work in progress. The team's gotten to this point so far. They'll have seen those five words and in agreement that, hey, we want to use these five words to kind of expand even just the idea of celebrating, growing, serving. Here's maybe a little better, deeper expansion. And so we're still kind of processing what does it look like then to belong? That's still kind of work the team's doing with the elders, with some other people. What is it like to connect? Well, we're going to bring that to you. We just want you to see that we're, we're taking seriously our role to lead in this way. We want you to know kind of where we are in this process. Um, this would bring me to mention this, and then I'll ask Becky and Chris to make any comments they'd like from their angles. That card in your chair that you either sat on or picked up before you sat down, some of you turned in already. This is the final week to do that. And here's what we believe as a value, that we believe every person is involved in this pathway from, from probably two angles. You are discipling someone to take their next step from belonging to leading. And you are being discipled in your own journey. So, so we kind of see it uh, like a two-ended existence in a lot of ways. Who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? So let's say that you're a, someone who's just been here a month and you're figuring out what it means to belong there's probably someone in your circle of influence who doesn't belong anywhere either, and you could be discipling them, even though you're just learning to belong. And someone who's at a different place can reach back to you and say, hey, I want to help you connect. Does that make sense? Even the very new person at First Family has relationships on both sides. But let's take Mark Hintz, who's been here since day one. We used him earlier. Mark Hintz has someone who can be discipling him in areas, and he can be discipling them. I don't think there's anyone out of the realm of this two kind of handed existence where we are being discipled and we're discipling and we walk together on the pathway of learning to obey Jesus. Becky, I know we've agreed and Chris, we've agreed, you guys have shared, this is a blanket that will kind of cover all of First Family. So I know you can't give details yet, we're still processing that, but any general comments about how you think this looks with those below, fifth, fifth grade and below? Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I... Um, 
I love these five words, and um, as, as we have this as, you know, for, for FFC, we're going to be very intentional about what this looks like for our kids. And, you know, we've had lots of conversations that we're, we're starting that process before they're, you know, walking and as they're toddling around back there. And so this is going to be a great structure for us to work under and to continue to develop um, as we are very intentional, and I think another thing piece that we like about this, and we've talked through this too, is that as a child grows, um, they're growing up through fifth grade, and then we don't want them to just stop and, oh, we've got youth group, and we start over again. And so this gives a great um, kind of bridge from children to youth, from youth to adult, and so we just want to continue to, to build and grow on that. Chris, generally speaking, talk to us about how this maybe look with our adult ministries and so forth. So one of the principles that I think has guided us is that as a church, um, we are a family. And I think that's something that we want to just keep underscoring over and over again, that discipleship happens within the family of God. And, and to really understand how that functions, I wanted to just, I'm going to, Pick on Josiah Davenport. Oh my goodness, he just like got really nervous. So if you could stand up, Josiah. He's making you stand. Wow. All I'll right. leave your mark, but <laughs> this is Josiah. Now, the first line of defense that's that's discipling Josiah is who? His mom and dad. So if they would stand up. Here we go. Okay. Now, if you are an elementary school teacher that has poured into Josiah, would you stand up? If you have been in the elementary, VBS, and any of those areas where you have taught young people, not necessarily just Josiah, but elementary teachers, all right, you guys, stand up. Jock. I'm good. Yep. Amen. Look at this. All right, now, if you're a youth leader, and you have worked with our youth, would you stand up? Look at this. Now, if you're an elder or a deacon, would you stand up? See, every one of us, in one way or another, is pouring into Josiah. And that is what a church family is all about. When he, when he looks back on his time growing up at First Family, he's going to see Becky, he's going to see Travis, he's going to see Todd, who's preached here every week. But he's going to see all of you in ways that have impacted him in his growing up. And here's the cool thing. Because if you're the same age or younger than Josiah and you're in this room, would you stand up? Like 13 and below, is that about right? Yeah, 13 and below. So look at it now. Look at All right, Josiah, these are kids that are looking at you now. Who are following you. Who are seeing the example that you set and are watching you. And you see, this is how discipleship within the family of God functions. You can all sit down now. I think when we think about it, we want to understand that as a church, we are a disciple-making church. And that it's not because of, of some curriculum that we follow. or so, It's the relationships we have with each other and how we're pouring into each other's lives. And so one of the things that we wanted to really focus in on as we talk about this discipleship pathway is we want to build sidewalks where there's already pathways. 
places where people are already walking. We don't want to try to force people into a new direction or a new... Um, we, if, if you, you know, the pathways are cool because they cut across, right? They're the shortcut between the sidewalk and the school, and eventually you got this pathway there. Rather than try to force everybody to follow a different path, let's just put a sidewalk over that pathway. And so where people are already doing the, re, the work of discipleship, let's help to grow it. So that's going to be within your small groups. That's going to be within our elementary structure, within our youth ministry structure, within the existing things that we've already created. But we want to just help breathe more life into those that's going to build the relationships and help people to be intentional about the discipleship. But it all begins at that first step of belonging to the family and being a part of it. That's why you know I just want to underscore again what Todd said. A long-term um, investment in a family is, is priceless. I mean, I think every one of us can look back at the churches that we grew up in, and it had a profound impact upon us now as adults. And that's the kind of environment we want to create here at First Family, so that the kids who are growing up in our midst, the next generation, 20 years from now, they're going to look back and they're going to, they're going to think of, of the example Todd has set for them and Travis and Becky and our elders. And they're going to know that they were loved within this environment and that they grew as a disciple. Even though they didn't even know they were being grown as a disciple. They grew as a disciple in the midst of this family that God has created here. So. so we're going to bring some more information to that as the weeks and months, maybe even years uh, we're in no hurry. We're not going to rush this. Um, but there's been some good thinking that has gone into what God has given us as our assignment. He's the one who enlisted us. He sets the parameters. And so our task is to make disciples of all nations. What does it look like here? We're thinking about it, and God's giving is going to give us understanding. Now, I, before these guys step away, I want you to hear this. That discipleship at its core, does uh, kind of demand that we uh, have two relationship, kind of a two-ended relationship all the time. Who's discipling me and who am I discipling? That could change frequently based on situations we're encountering, things we're going through, availability. But this is really how this works. We, we, Eric's getting discipled and he's going to be discipling. That happens in all of our lives. And so I want to end this series just by simply asking you this. That card that either you sat on today or you picked up before you sat down, if you've not filled it out, will you today commit to two ends of discipleship in your life? Would you? Would you think about what you've heard, not only from the scriptures, but also even some of the application here? And would you ask God to give you understanding, the kind of understanding that farmers and soldiers and athletes have, so that you can engage in discipleship in a way that really goes the distance. Who is discipling you right now? If no one, I admit to you, we've talked about this, that's, that chasm of connection can be difficult. It seems impossible. How do I get to know someone? Who do I ask? How do I start that? I, I don't have a solution that's foolproof on that. I don't. It's hard. But I do believe this, that gospel-fueled, spirit-led first steps pay great dividends. 
And sometimes it just takes one first step to voice someone. Is, is there someone, Todd, or one of the elders? or is there, is there someone that could just give me a hand in an area? I'm not sure I know what to do next. I'm not sure what it means to be a Christian, how to belong. I'm not sure what to do next in, in growing. Or just, just take the first step and ask. We'll help bridge that chasm. It is hard. I admit that to you. But don't let that stop you. That's my call today to you. Let's think about this. Let's ask God for understanding. And then let's commit to being discipled on a regular basis and discipling someone on a regular basis. As we do that, as that's the pathway we'll walk, God will increasingly, generation after generation, make us a disciple-making church. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.